At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I, you know, I got an accounting degree because it seemed like a great degree to get, and I figured I'd get a job. And I was an accountant for 10 working days. And then, and then I, uh, you know, I, had, I had started to coach and like basketball and high school baseball, and I was, I was hooked immediately. Welcome into another episode of From Phenom to the Farm, Baseball America's interview series talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Today's episode, I was joined by a guy who knows the ins and outs of every aspect of amateur baseball, and that is Mike Rooney. If you've watched any college baseball at all over the past few years, you're probably pretty familiar with Mike Rooney, who you can catch calling games every year for ESPN, and he's also been a regular guest with Teddy and Joe over on the Baseball America College podcast. Before his time in broadcasting, Mike coached under Pat Murphy at Arizona State. He was the head coach of Phoenix College, which is an Arizona junior college, and coached his high school alma mater at Malvern Prep. Before that, before all that, he was a walk-on at Notre Dame under his future boss, Pat Murphy, back in the 80s, uh, was was on those first run of Irish teams that, that really started to make a push at becoming a, a factor in Division I baseball. Runes has seen it all. He's got an incredible life in baseball, and no knock against anyone else I've had on this podcast, but he, he might just be the nicest person I've ever spoken to in my life. It was a real pleasure to hear about his career, and there's some nuggets for every college baseball fan in this one. Uh, recruiting stories at Arizona State, the essentials for anyone visiting Omaha, and at the end, you get his pick to win the College World Series in 2022. So tune in for that. Big thanks to Mike for taking the time, walking us through his career. Very interesting to hear the ins and outs of coaching at every different level of amateur baseball. Episodes are from Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. We're going on 40 now. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Also, make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Minor league season is, is winding down. BA is still on top of all the goings on in baseball. Prospect hot sheets still going out every week. Future projection is also back after a brief hiatus. It's Carlos Colazzo and Ben Badler. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Automatic subscribe for me. So if you haven't yet, check that one out. And uh, with that, let's talk to Mike Rooney. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm, a former coach at the high school, junior college, and Division I level current college baseball broadcaster for ESPN, Mike Rooney. Mike, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Uh, Kyle, I'm honored. I am. A, uh, I feel like I should say longtime listener, first time caller, because I'm pretty religious about your podcast. I enjoy it very, very much. So yeah, thrilled to be on here. Well, I appreciate the kind words. I mean, long t- me, longtime listener of you broadcasting college baseball games, especially because I live in Big 12 country. You did a lot, especially like this spring, you did a lot of Big 12 games. Um, I think I've said on the podcast before, I married into a, a TCU baseball fanhood. And I think, nice. I, I know you had them for the West Virginia series in Morgantown this year. I don't know if you had them 
yeah, I, I, but I heard your voice a few times. This, yeah, this I had the Big Twelve tournament. I had, I think, I had ten Big Twelve tournament games, which was an absolute blast. Like that was, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's such a great baseball league, and and you know, even without Texas and Oklahoma, will continue to be a great baseball league. It's, yeah, I, I've I've loved getting to do Big Twelve games. Yeah, much more confidence in uh, in Big Twelve baseball without Texas and Oklahoma than uh, Big Twelve football without Texas and Oklahoma. <laughs> that's right. But yeah, I can't comment on football, but yeah, that's those are tough losses in football, no question. It's going to be a little more difficult to unpack. Well, Mike, we've we've got a lot to cover. Uh, your career spans a, a lot of different levels, a lot of stuff we haven't had on the podcast yet. You, as a listener, would know that. So yes. I want to want to try to get to as much as possible. Um, let's go back to kind of your upbringing when you were getting into sports in an era that was kind of, I guess, pre-specialization, what made baseball your, your pick of, of sport as far as what's going to take you to the next level? Yeah. So I would say Kyle that, um, I, of all the guests you've had, I've got the worst tool set of any of the guests and that's probably why I picked baseball. I, you know, five foot nine and, um, but, but in all seriousness, I think you kind of just alluded to it. So I grew up in suburban Philadelphia you know, Pennsylvania, um, you know, super sportsy family. Like my dad loved sports and kind of, um, you know, I loved, you know, sports was something, it is something my dad and I share and, and my brother as well. And so, yeah, I just, you, you, where I lived, where I grew up and in that era, you played everything. I played high school football. I played high school baseball. We played basketball as kids every day, nonstop, you know, like pickup games. I've probably played more pickup basketball than I've done anything else in my life. And, um, you know, ran indoor track a few winners. And so, yeah, I just uh, the 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 long story short for me in baseball is Irish Catholic family, oldest son. And I was going to go to Notre Dame. My dad had gone to Notre Dame. I was a good student. That's the only college I applied to got an early decision. And um, but I had had a really good, you know, run at the end of my high school career. I was only a one year starter in high school for baseball. But that that final year was it went really well. And and so, you know, I just figured, hey, I'll I'll try to walk on to the team at Notre Dame. And, um, you know, and and I was so certain I wasn't going to make the team. Notre Dame has a cool thing. They have full pad inner hall football. Um, And so I was so certain that I wasn't going to make the baseball team at Notre Dame that I actually was going after the the walk-on tryouts in the afternoon. I was at night. I was going to Keenan Hall, where I lived, the Keenan Hall football practices. I was actually hoping to be the quarterback. And so, um, and but you know, just it was Pat Murphy's second year there. You know, who you know, obviously that was kind of fate. And um, yeah, if just making the team as a walk on and being able to stay on the team for four years changed my life forever, and, and it's just been kind of a wild ride, really. I mean, as a broadcaster for ESPN now, you might lay claim, you, you would have laid claim to being potentially Notre Dame's most famous walk-on if it were not for that annoying guy on the football team in the 70s. <laughs> That's right. I, oh, I was going to ask you as far as, because um, Notre Dame is a school that for a lot of folks is a is a dream school. So that was your intention, no matter what, you didn't, you didn't look at baseball anywhere else. It was, you would rather go to Notre Dame and even if you hadn't made the team, then go try to play baseball because it's not it's probably it is the most famous Catholic college in the country, but it's not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, my the long story short of it was my dad went to Notre Dame 
And, you know, I, I always tease him that the way I learned profanity was growing up watching Notre Dame football games with my dad. You know, it, we, it was the Jerry Faust era when I was a kid, and that was not a great era for Notre Dame football. But, you know, it was born into us. And, and um, you know, I, I, I went to a really good academic high school, Malvern Prep, outside of Philadelphia. And, you know, that was the dream. I, you know, it, I applied early decision when that letter came saying that I was accepted in Notre Dame December of my senior year. It was the first time I had seen my dad cry. Like he was so, you know, like that meant so much to him. And, and, um, you know, I did get a couple letters from division three schools, my senior year about baseball, but, and I, I showed him to my dad and my dad, you know, kind of like that generation, a little different than our generation, I suppose. But he's like, yeah, we're all set. We, we, we've, we've made our decision. And I, I give him a hard time. We always say that Notre Dame was the best decision I never made, you know. But it was, you know, I, I got to tell you, Kyle, like it was, I know there's a million great schools out there. But my Notre Dame experience, from the second I set foot on that campus, it was like a dream. You know, my closest friends in life are from there. The baseball experience changed my life. Uh, you know, it was it was a unbelievable four-year experience. And you walk into an up-and-coming program with an up-and-coming coach who you would, you would later coach with. What was it like to play under Pat Murphy, and how did you kind of make your bones as a walk-on, which is not the easiest position to be walking into a team to? Yeah, it was, you know, you got to remember, you know, Pat Murphy is family for for my wife, Jenny, and I. You know, Murph has been so good to us, but he is from the old school of, you know, when I've played for him and coached for him, you know, the, the standards are extremely high. You know, the feedback is very direct. You know, it, it's... um. You know, he, he just, Murph was, you know, whatever, whenever I've been part of something with Murph, we're going to the highest level, you know, come heck or high water. And so, you know, that's, those are tough environments for players, for coaches, because you got to bring your A game every single day. But I'd say the flip side of that is that um, anytime my wife and I, you know, you know, if I'm a, I'm applying to be the head coach at Phoenix College, you know, it's, Murph's not like someone I'm asking to help, he's demanding that he can help. I'll never forget when I when I applied for that job at Phoenix College. You would think that the athletic director at Phoenix College would be seeking out Pat Murphy, the head coach at Arizona State's advice, like, "Hey, you know, you're like the big dog in the in the collegiate baseball community in this town. Who should I hire?" And you know, Murph had to stalk that guy to promote me. And so, um, but you know, getting back to the point, when when we played for Murph at Notre Dame, Kyle, he was 29 years old my freshman year. And so, you know, just think of the maturity level of any of us when we were 29 years old. But it was, you know, so it was super old school. The passion, the energy was off the charts. And um, it, it was it was a whirlwind. And, and, you know, you asked the question, how did I compensate as a walk-on? You know, it was Murph did not have very much scholarship at the time. I think he had two scholarships. So a lot of us were walk-ons. I mean, Craig Councils, my classmate, he was on $500 a semester, basically on a book scholarship. Um, and we see, you know, what, what kind of career he's had. But, you know, the way I survived is, you know, I, I could run and I had arm strength, but I did not have a ton of baseball skill. I was just a fairly good athlete. And, and I just played with my hair on fire, and I made sure I was the first one to show up every day, and I made sure I was the last one to leave every day. And if Murph said there was optional hitting, to me that was mandatory. And, you know, I, I just my, – my, my strategy was – 
I was going to try to make it impossible for Murph to cut me, not because of the skill level, but because of the time I was putting into it and, you know, those types of things. And so, you know, and, and, and that worked, you know, I, but, I, I, you know, it's a fair point. I, I checked, I legitimately checked my locker every day for four years because, you know, the program was improving and, and um, you know, I was over my skis, but it was, you know, I got to be a pinch runner, defensive replacement, utility guy. It, it was, you know, I got to start, you know, the game to go to Omaha my senior year, but, um, it was wild. I mean, it was just, it was, it was so fun. It was so challenging. You know, Murph tested us in a million different ways. Um, but the net net was, it was just an awesome four years. Well, you've seen division one baseball essentially progress over the last 30 plus years. D1 baseball in the late 80s, early 90s when you're in college. I know, as with everything, you know, some things change, some things, you know, some things stay the same. What about D1 baseball has has stayed constant in that level? And then what what do you think is kind of the biggest change from your days at Notre Dame versus now? Yeah, gosh, that's a great question. What is, what has, you know, what has changed is pretty easy. You know, it's just there's so many more schools invested in baseball. And I think what has changed is, college baseball has always been this really cool sport, this really cool thing that um, people just found out about. And then athletic directors started to figure out that, hey, access to the top of college baseball is actually, it's right there. You know, like this is attainable. Like you want to be a top 10 school in football. I mean, good luck with that without like a billion dollar gift from Warren Buffett to get you started. But you want to be a top 20 program in baseball. I mean, look at some of these programs and look at, you know, I always think about, um, you know, that Paul Goldschmidt went to Texas State and, you know, you can name a million players, you know, that, that didn't you know, didn't go to the, the, the blue blood schools. And so, you know, I, I think that's blood schools. And so, you know, I, I think that's what, that's, what's changed is people are, there's a cool dynamic and it's, it's attainable for athletic directors. Yeah. So like Chris Bryant going to San Diego, another great example of, you know, like that kid didn't go to a blue blood school. And so, um, but I think, so your other part of your question is what has stayed the same? I'll tell you what has stayed the same is, you know, Omaha being this really cool destination, you know, it, I, I think like the eighties was kind of the coming out party for Omaha and, you know, ESPN, you know, the ESPN people love Omaha. Like it's one of the most coveted assignments at ESPN bar none. And you never think that with all the huge events that they get to cover. So I think that's a cool part. And, and the one other part that I'd put a bow on it with is, you know, I, I still think baseball's got the best setup in that the players can be drafted out of high school and the kids that go play college baseball are choosing to be there. And and that's not all of us. Like, not all of us got a choice. Like, some of us just, you know, pro baseball chose that for us. But I think that's a big part of it is it is it's a very high level of our sport, but it is truly amateur. I want to remember to come back to the the difference with college football. And the college football, essentially, it's like three teams can win the national title every year. I want to come back to that aspect of college baseball later when we get into your broadcasting career. Because sure. I have some questions I can't forget it. But you mentioned you mentioned Omaha. Uh, your you know your you mentioned your final game at at Notre Dame was your one game away from Omaha. You kind of started your. Uh, you know, chasing, chasing your white whale in terms of uh, Mm -hmm. getting to Omaha in some form or fashion at that point. What was, because I mean, now it's such a big thing. You mentioned that that came on in the eighties with, with ESPN going there. Was it 
as big a deal when you were at Notre Dame? Because, I mean, now t- teams across the country, you know, break out of the huddle to saying Omaha. Like, it's it's the goal. It's the reason that guys will turn down. You know, we talked to Carson Whitson earlier this year on the podcast. It was the reason that he turned down a first round first round money was to pitch Florida to Omaha. Was it as big a, a deal then as it is now? Yes. Yeah. Now I would say, you know, everything's, it's a different big deal. Like we weren't breaking the huddle to Omaha. I I think just because the only time you ever saw it was on ESPN and, you know, there's so much more publicity for college baseball now, but you know, like you knew that's where you wanted to go. And, and, um, I, you know, I, I think my experience at Notre Dame was a little bit unique in that Murph was again, super old school. And I, I'm beating that expression up in, in this interview, but you know, like it was, we're taking on anybody, anywhere, anytime. Right. So my freshman year, uh, we played two fall. So my freshman year at Notre Dame was the Catholics versus convicts football game. We Notre Dame won the national championship in football that year. And Murph invited, remember he's been there now two, this is his getting ready to start his second season at Notre Dame as the head baseball coach, age 29. And he invites Ron Frazier and the Miami Hurricanes baseball team to come up to Notre Dame, and we're going to play Thursday and Friday night before that epic football game. And they came up, and, you know, Joe Gray and Jose Fernandez, and, you know, I I couldn't, God only knows how many big leaguers were on that team. And we beat them Thursday and Friday night in those fall games. And, you know, it was it was 40 degrees out on, you know, on a fall night. And, and I'm sure the Miami players were like, what did we get ourselves into? They uh, and had then to we hated being there. Oh, hated it. And, you know, we, we played USC one year in a fall game. We played Wichita State. So, you know, we, we played at Texas. We played, hey, we played at LSU and faced Paul Bird on St. Patrick's Day and actually won that game on a spring trip. And so that, that was the thing is, like, Omaha was a big deal, but really – I think what was more more in the minds of our program was, hey, we're like all these brand name programs in college baseball that we've been watching in Omaha on ESPN. Like Murph's thing was, we're 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 going we're going to trade punches with all of them. Like like bring it, let's go. And it was awesome. It, that that part was really cool. And so you know certainly when we lost that final game in the Coral Gables Regional in '92, like it was. Um, you know, like you were kind of like heartbroken on one hand because you um, you were one win from Omaha, but then you know, for me and Craig Council and you know Corey Mee, who used to be the head coach at Toledo, and Joe Binkowitz and Danny Bouch, who were names that nobody would know, but those the five of us played together for four years. Like you know, there was a sense of satisfaction. Like, hey, we for four years we tangled with everybody, and here we are. Like final day, one win from the promised land. Um, that, that part was, yeah, that, that part never, never changes. And that, that's the coolest part of it all. And as you wrapped up your playing career at Notre Dame, were you thinking about coaching? Had you always wanted to be a coach? I I read your bio. I saw that you, you got your degree in accounting, proud son of a CPA here. So, uh, he did not go into coaching. What led you to, uh, go, you know, go into coaching instead of going to crunch numbers? Yeah. So I was, I, my, my, you know, I was, like I told you, I was a utility player. And so I knew professional baseball very early. I knew professional baseball was not going to be an option. And then, um, I mean, gosh, Craig Council, who was like, you know, like our entire senior year, he was the best player um, on the field every day. 
And, you know, his junior year, he was really good, too. And we watched him go undrafted. So, you know, that made it very clear, at least to me, that like, hey, if this guy's not even good enough to be drafted, then, you know, the rest of us have no chance. And so um, and, and ironically, we, we did play with three big leaguers in those four years. But the the you know, so so my dad before he, he's been a stockbroker for his career. But before he had our family, he was a coach. He, he was a high school teacher and a track and field and cross-country coach. And my dad's cross-country teams, it was Monsignor Bonner High School, right outside of Philly, Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. And so his um, individual medley, distance medley relay teams ran in the Penn Relays, and he had won city titles there. So he was really into it. And so, you know, like that was, I had that gene too. And so, I, you know, I got an accounting degree because it seemed like a great degree to get and I figured I'd get a job and I was an accountant for 10 working days and then and then I uh you know I had I had started to coach and like basketball and high school baseball and I was I was hooked immediately and so um very quickly started to try and get a teacher certificate and you know the rest is history so you you head back to your alma mater at uh Malvern Prep what is the experience like coaching guys who are not that much older than you in high school baseball is it is it hard to come across as any sort of authority figure or did, did that, you know, come out pretty easily? Yeah, I would say I just wasn't even aware of it at the time. You know, looking back, I'm sure it was an issue, but it was really unique. So um, the first year, you know, I was coaching at a school called West Town School, which was very, very private. You know, the kids were, it was almost intramural baseball. Then the next year, which was the spring of 94, I'm coaching at Malvern and I'm literally Greg Gross. Greg Gross, who played in the big leagues for a million years with the Phillies, you know, incredible pinch hitter. He's the head coach. And so I'm his assistant coach. And so, and, you know, we had two first round picks on that team. Glenn Davis, who was a first round pick of the Dodgers after playing three years at Vanderbilt. He was our first baseman. His brother, Ben, you know, who was even more famous, was our catcher and one of our pitchers, ironically. So, yeah, that part was, you know, I, I was young, clearly, but Greg was such a presence. I was more just along for the ride. And, you know, and, and Ben was emerging as an, an incredible player. Glenn was, you know, speaking about best player on the field, Glenn was a machine. I mean, it felt like he hit 500 that year. And, um, yeah, so the, the it, it was really cool. It, Malvern is a cool place, great academic school. They take sports really seriously. Um, same thing. My dad had gone there. I went there. You know, it, it was so it was I was thrilled. I was thrilled to be back there. The team, you know, we, we had such good players. So that part was really neat. What are the duties of a coach when you've got a guy like Ben Davis, I believe, ended up being the number two overall pick where you know that his future in baseball is beyond these high school games that you're playing and he's going to have a million coaches after you. What are what's kind of the duty of a high school coach to shepherd a guy like that through, who you know, has this future in baseball? Yeah, gosh, I have so many stories from my Ben Davis experience. I would say, you know, the first thing I want to say in fairness to the other kids, Kyle, is that being a high school coach back in that time in the nineties, you know, you're, I just never forget my senior year. We had my senior year at Malvern. We had five Division One athletes on, including all sports, on our high school baseball team, and we went twelve and five. We played seventeen games with five Division One athletes. I mean, if if you know, if I'm coaching that team, I'd want to play two hundred and five games, right? Like, you know, give me get as many games as we can. We're loaded, and so, but it just high school sports were different back then. And so, when I went and, and experienced college baseball at the Division One level, I come back to high school and I was like, "Gosh, dang! Like, we are missing this. Like, this sport is so much 
better and different and advanced than this. So the first part of your goal, at least for me as a 28-year-old high school coach, is, hey, I want to I like build a program. Like I want to make Malvern baseball not like just some program that wins league titles because we have all these good athletes left over from football and basketball. Like I want to make us a big deal. I want to make the kids in this program feel like this is really important, not just football and basketball. And so there's that part of it. And then, like you said, I'm 28 years old. And or I'm sorry, I'm not even 28. I left at 28. I'm 25 years old, at, you know, in the spring of Ben's senior year. So 25-year-old kid, either way, you know nothing. And, um, you know, and we're, we're trying to build. It's my first year as a high school head coach. And, you know, we, we don't have a batting cage. And, you know, we don't – I'll never forget this story. So we, we – Ben's a senior. He's a switch hitter. He's a total freak show talent. I mean, unbelievable kid. Insane talent. And, um, you know, one of the stories I tell people is that was really neat is scouts would come to watch us play and Ben would just be intentionally walked or walked the entire game. And so scouts, you know, we didn't take BP after the games in, in Philadelphia high school baseball. So scouts would say, hey, do you mind throwing BP to Ben um, after the game? And I was, I'll never forget Dayton Moore was one of our kind of regional scouts at the time. I think he was probably a cross-checker, but he was at a lot of our games. He was with the Braves at the time. And I think it was to Dayton that I said, Dayton, I don't know how to say this because it's kind of embarrassing, but we don't have enough baseballs for me to throw Ben BP after the game. <laughs> and we have like 15 baseballs. And Dayton or whoever it was said, hey, like... I'll make you a deal. If you know, if you, if I can get you some baseballs, will you throw BP to Ben after games? And I said, hey, I I just want to clear it with the other kids because obviously this is gonna, you know, I I gotta tread those waters. But assuming they say yes, absolutely. And so, sure enough, I said to the kids on the team, like, hey, how do you feel about this? We're only gonna throw to Ben um, because obviously these guys are here to see Ben. um, But are you guys cool with that? And they all, you know, it was a unanimous yes. They all love Ben. And then next thing I know, scouts start coming to our games with a box of baseballs. Like I'm just, they're just giving them to me one at a time. And so we literally built our baseball inventory <laughs> because we're throwing BP to Ben. And um, you know, Mike Koplov was in our league, ironically, who became a big leaguer. So that was really cool. But yeah, it was coaching Ben. I, I, you know, as a 25 year old, I guess the one thing I should give myself credit for is he was our best pitcher the previous two seasons, and going into his senior year, um, you know, I'll say we made the decision that Ben's not going to pitch. And, and, you know, I guess selfishly, my thought was, hey, I'm not going to have the first thing on my resume be blowing out a kid that just caught for Team USA. And you knew he was, you know, this special talent. So he only he only caught, he didn't pitch. And that definitely hurt our team. We were for I, my dad still kills me about this. We went 14 and 11 with the best high school player in the country catching for us. So uh, we were a little light on the bump, but it was it was a blast. Super fun. Kind of ahead of your time in, in pulling him off the mound because at that point, not, I don't, I'm not sure a lot of coaches would have done that. But I want to I talk about the objectives of a high school coach in that you have limited time with your players compared to you do in college, and especially with your players, and especially you were at a program at, you know, at Arizona State after this where – the top tier of player obviously wants to get drafted, wants to be a first round or whatever, but even the bottom tier of player is serious enough about his baseball and his talent that he's playing at Arizona state. Even if he's a walk on yeah. um, d- different quality of player for every in high school, for a lot of these kids, baseball is it's, it's something fun. It's something they've probably done since little league, but it's just an extracurricular for every Ben Davis. There's Ben regular dude who just wants to play baseball for fun and, and not mm-hmm. play beyond high school. 
taking you know taking that into consideration, what are kind of, what are what are the objectives of a, of a high school coach taking the team into a hole and in kind of you know, I guess weighing out the expectations because not every kid is a, is a Ben Davis or is even a college player. Yeah. So I would say, you know, like uh, there's two ways I can answer this, right? Like what should the expectations be for a high school coach and what was my mindset at age 25, 26, 27, 28? But I would, I, I, you know, like I'm not going to be too critical of myself. I would say like my goal was to make it a big deal. Like I like I guess my theory on it, Kyle, was like the kids that just want to play for fun, like they can actually do that for their entire life, right? Like they can go play in men's leagues. Like they don't need a high school baseball experience for that. They don't need a college baseball. Like you you know, you can go play baseball whenever you want, really. But what I wanted was I wanted a program that they would take pride in. Like little things. Like we we printed up these blue Malvern baseball T shirts. And the thing was you couldn't get the T shirt until you made the varsity at Malvern Prep. Like, you couldn't buy it. Nobody could buy it. And so, we like, a little thing like that, that was what we practiced in that T-shirt. So, something to take pride in. You know, that was at the time where Skip, I'll never forget seeing Skip Bertman at a clinic. And, um, and you know, every day when the LSU players for game day, when they come into their lockers, he'd have a quote from Chicken Soup for the Soul. And I stole that idea, you know, 100%. So, every game day, the Malvern, you know, our Malvern Prep players, when they'd go into their lockers, I'd have... Have a, you know when I should have been grading my math test, I had been I was in the teachers lounge photocopying these sheets that said Malvern baseball March twenty fifth nineteen ninety five and a quote you know like a, a motivational quote um, you know we had we had a, our colors were blue and and silver we had a blue and silver play like a champion sign uh, today sign that they would hit on their way out of the locker room so I think that what what I what I wanted. Kyle was I and I do think this is part of the job of the high school coaches give these kids something that they can take pride in because that's how they're going to figure out what they have inside of themselves I think you know giving them an easy experience doesn't prepare them for much and you know I hey I was there to win I you know we all want to win and and I probably let that get the best of me many times over as a young high school coach I was really into the kids that wanted to play college baseball I was going to do everything I can I was going to make phone calls I you know anything I could to help promote them there and and you know certainly that in the long term helped me in my career because you make contacts but I I think that that was my ultimate goal is I just want I want this to be a big deal. I want this to be something that the the kids um, could really take pride in because I felt like that's at, at the end of the day, win, lose or draw, whether you know you're all league or uh, a backup player, th- that's what makes the difference. If you were part of something that that you felt like was bigger than yourself. So you're at Malvern. What is when did college come into the picture? When did, was it before Pat Murphy was hired at Arizona State or was it, you know, was it a chicken or the egg thing with, with Pat Murphy coming into that job? Yeah, I would say, no, it really wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, we, like I stayed in touch with Murph and, you know, whenever he, there's a great clinic, um, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey on the East Coast every year and Murph would speak at that quite often and I'd go see him. But, you know, I think what happened was, you know, the, I had the Ben Davis thing when I'm 25 as a first year head coach. And then I, our freshman, our second baseman on that team, who was a true freshman, was Josh McKinley, who was another just awesome kid who was a freak show athlete, baseball player. And, you know, Josh was the 11th pick overall in 1998. And so, 
Ben, between me playing college baseball and then Ben and Josh, I just had met so many people and, you know, taking an interest in in trying to help kids get recruited. We had another player, Ryan Edgington, who was a Division One player. And so, you know, I was just making all these contacts and I was single at the time. And so I just thought, you know, the college thing would be really cool. And, um, you know, I, I, I was going to clinics nonstop. I was just a complete junkie for coaching clinics. And so um, at one of those clinics... Uh, a friend of a friend, one of my one of my teammates from Notre Dame, had gotten to meet George Horton, who was the you know kind of just getting started as the head coach at Cal State Fullerton, and so I got to just kind of meet you know have a prearranged meeting with George at the clinic, and I expressed to him that hey like if, you know I would be really interested in in joining your staff if there was if that was an option. And, you know, I've been reaching out to Paul Maneri, who was now at Notre Dame, and I've been reaching out to Murph, but they didn't really have anything, any opportunities. But George had said that, hey, uh, you know, we have kind of like an off-the-field position um, that you could do. And so I was like, done. I don't even, you know, it wouldn't pay. And, you know, just, I'm, I, I, so, and literally I, I took it. And I think looking back, George probably was looking at me like, Hey, like this guy went to Notre Dame and, you know, he probably is fairly bright and, you know, maybe he could help us with the computers that are starting to be a real thing and in sports administration. And, and so I was all in, I was, you know, I was like, this is awesome. So I literally started driving after that 98 season, that summer, I started driving across the country. I was going to go be some version of a graduate assistant non-coach at Cal State Fullerton for baseball, had a place to stay. And, you know, literally I, um, I'm stopping in Chicago, you know, as I'm, I'm breaking the trip up and I have a message from home from Murph and Murph had, had gotten to Arizona State in the meantime, you know, he, he, his first year there was 95 and Murph said, Hey, uh, Mark O'Brien was going to be our volunteer coach. He, um, is now going to Stanford for a paid position. Would you have any interest in being our volunteer? You'd coach their base and work with the infielders. And so, you know, I've told this story a million times, but it's, so I, I called George Horton and I'm like, George, here's what's happened. And, but you know, I, I still want to come to Fullerton. Like, I, I'm so excited to come work for you guys, and your program is so legendary. I'm still in. And George, as only a kind man like George Horton could do, he says, Runes, like, you can't come here. Like, you're not going to be on the field. You're not going to be anywhere near the field at Fullerton. You're going to coach their base at Arizona State. And I, and I was just, like, so young and dumb. And he, George George was like, look, I'll, I'll have a great experience, right? So... <laughs> Um, you know, and so I, I, you know, George has always been one of my heroes in coaching, still is one of my heroes in coaching, but, uh, yeah, so I just kind of like rerouted and, and that started my first six years at Arizona state. You grew up in Pennsylvania. You went to college in Indiana, just climate wise. What was the first year like in Tempe? How much money did you spend on sunscreen? Oh my gosh. I used to tease people that like, I need a sponsorship with Coppertone because I was just like showering in it. But yeah, I'll never forget the first um, Arizona State football game I got to go to, which was really cool. And, you know, right up my alley with my Notre Dame experience. And I was, it was so hot all day. And I was thinking, well, hey, at least it's a night game and it'll be cooler. And it was not cooler, right? It was hot as blazes at night. And, you know, so it was, it was the weather thing was weird my first year because it was so hot. But hey, you know the no humidity is a real thing. You know the dry heat does help um, a ton. But I'll tell you the other thing that was so unique was 
It literally, the weather is the same every day. Hot and sunny, hot and sunny, hot and sunny. And that blew me away. And even though it was the heat was uncomfortable, trading that for the rain and, you know, you can imagine being a high school baseball coach in suburban Philadelphia. I mean, you're just, you wake up lighting candles every day that you're going to be able to get on a field or play a game. And, and so it, it was, the whole experience was overwhelming, but I was thrilled by the weather in many ways. And you said you started as an unpaid assistant? Yeah. So I was the volunteer. That's what I, I went there as, but something still, that's still very much a reality. In, yeah. In college and, baseball. And, and you know, like I, I try to be as measured as possible on things like Twitter, but when the volunteer conversations come up, I can get a little emotional because, you know, I was the volunteer at Arizona state for 18 months and, um, you know, it, it was, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, the summer in between, I went and coached up in Alaska, which was an amazing experience. Um, and so, you know, John Pulowski had been our pitching coach. He, in the middle of the year, got the job at College of Charleston as the head coach. And that's the only reason I got to be a paid coach is because JP left in the middle of the year. Otherwise, you know, Murph probably has a national search and and I probably don't get it. But so really lucky. But I'm telling you, Kyle, like those 18 months, it gets really spooky. You know, like you have no insurance. And so every time you get in a car, you're scared out of your mind. Like, what if we get in an accident? I got, like, I'm going to have to have fundraisers to pay for medical care. And, you know, I'm cash, I cashed in all of my measly 401k or 403b, whatever it's called, from being a high school teacher. And, um, you know, my mom is sending me $60 a month for groceries. And I'm, you know, I'm coaching baseball at Arizona State. I'm caddying at Paradise Valley Country Club. I'm giving baseball lessons. I'm tutoring kids in math. Um, again, wouldn't change any of it, but you know, you, you start to get a little mental because, you know, I, I turned 30 during that experience and you're like, gosh, dang, I'm a 30 year old guy with a Notre Dame accounting degree. And my mom is sending me 60 bucks a month for groceries. And I'm scared to death if I ever got in a car accident. So it does mess with your mind. Meanwhile, you're coaching big leaguers, right? Like the shortstop I'm hitting fungos to is Willie Bloomquist. So it's like, it's just such the, the, the mixed messages are all over the place. And, and, um, but it, but I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I, you know, the volunteer coach, I, I, I think we're, we're absolutely ready to retire that position. I, I would agree. Um, so you, you move up your, your coaching division one college baseball, um, and at Arizona state, a school like that, a school with a tradition like that, you know, like a decade removed from having Barry Bonds, what are the pros and cons of coaching at a baseball powerhouse, even as a volunteer, are there are there cons to a, a team that when you start the season, there's expectations of I, I guess a Pac-10 at that time title and a trip to Omaha. Yeah, I would say there 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 really aren't any cons because they're j- it just kind of how you address them and how you handle them mentally. But that said, like I I was not prepared to do those things, and and handling those things is easier said than done. And very few people are able to do it. So let me do the pros first. The pros are, you know, like as a high school teacher and coach, it's like all I'm I'm teaching math class, thinking about my practice plan, right? Like I'm, I'm grading, um, I'm grading math tests, thinking, can I just stop doing this so I can make some phone calls to college coaches to try and help one of my guys be a D1 player. So then you get to I got to Arizona State, it's like, oh my gosh, all I do from the second I wake up, 
to the second I go to bed is I coach baseball and all the things around it. Like we're in an office and we're talking about baseball. Like it just, it was such, like those six years at Arizona State, Kyle, it was like getting a PhD in baseball. It was so amazing in every way. The people I'm getting to meet, the how much I learned about the game, all that stuff. You know, you, you, you throw in the Arizona State stuff, the crowds you play in front of at home, the crowds you play in front of on the road, the talent of the players you get to recruit and coach, um, you know, the people in the game you get to meet. I mean, it was, it was the pros were, you know, infinite, really. Now, the cons, you mentioned, I, I, there's two cons that come to mind. One is, hey, my six years, the, my first six years at Arizona State, we never made it to Omaha. We, we won a Pac-12. We were a top eight seed twice. You know, I, I like to say that we were one game from Omaha twice. Um, but, you know, like for six years, you feel like you're doing a bad job, right? <laughs> like you at a place where it's national championship or bust, you can really get met. Like that can really beat you down and wear you down. Now, I would argue that, you know, I could have done a better job handling it, but I've met very few people that can handle it. So that's one con. I think the other con, the other challenging part at a place like that is your recruits are so famous it's really hard to get them to campus because, you know, they, they, you're doing my job for me because that was my next yeah. to talk about recruiting at Arizona State and some of the guys you had rolling through that school. Yeah, that part was hard. So but it was it was it was again, I, I am so thankful for that experience. It was it was so awesome. I met my wife during that time and I'm so grateful that Jenny and I got to share a lot of that. Uh, it was it was incredible, really. Yeah, well, on to to recruiting, um, you know, you're you're with with your career and everything you've done now I, I don't know we haven't talked about this but I've played a ton of MVP college baseball 2006 2007 so I know how tough it is to try to build out a roster and balance that 11.7 scholarships I mean I I, <laughs> That's great. I know it, it's difficult but when you're uh when you're doing it in real life and not only at, at Arizona State I assume you, you guys got the full boat of scholarships with you know unlike your, your yeah. time at Notre Dame but how do you plan out a roster between recruiting? You're not sure who's getting to campus. You're not sure who's leaving after their junior year. How much did, did the accounting degree come into play there a little bit, being able to kind of help, help Murph figure that out? Yeah, not, you know, honestly, Murph was a wizard at that. Like, he was so good at it. And, you know, the truth is, Kyle, like, we did it like an airline. Like, you know, we over-recruited, and then we would figure it out at the end. And, you know, it, it, it's um, it's really hard because, you know, you recruit these these families for years, and then sometimes they call you with bad news. Sometimes everything's fine, and sometimes you call them with bad news. And, you know, I think the good thing in a place like Arizona State is that, Every kid you're recruiting is wants to be a big leaguer, and you know so the, the the kids that you recruit and then they sign, you know you're you're really bummed, but you're happy for them at the same time. It's kind of this really bittersweet feeling, and then other kids you get through the draft and that's great. And then there's other kids that you know, hey, maybe you know we didn't think Pedroia was getting through the draft and he did, and so now you've got too many in middle infielders and. You know, the, the good news at that time is some of those kids, you, you know, going to junior college was really disappointing but not traumatic because maybe the scout that drafted them was feeling like, hey, yeah, like that, that why, why would you go to Arizona State and watch someone else play when you go to, you know, Chandler Gilbert Community College and get your repetitions and, you know, get back in the draft or go to Arizona State. But, you know, th- those are really disappointing 
conversations because you're selling them the dream. But yeah, it was. It, I mean, honestly, it felt like Kyle. We had to rec- we had to sign 20 players to get 10 to show up because again, you know, Arizona State's a fine institution, but it's not Stanford or SC or Notre Dame or Rice or Vandy or you know any of those places where you know we were getting the kids that were the baseball rats, and we loved those kids. But given an opportunity to play professional baseball, most of those kids would you know, take that opportunity as opposed to doing three more years of school. And with the the limited number of scholarships, you have to, did you feel like there was a lot of pressure to hit on the kids that you're giving money and for those kids to succeed when they got to campus? Yeah, I would say, that's a good question. I would, you know, like I would say there's always more pressure on the kids on bigger scholarships and, and, you know, some of that self-induced, like the, you know, the kids all know what scholarships each other are on. And so, you know, that was always a thing where the kids on bigger scholarships, they felt a lot of pressure. You could see that, um, you know, I was coaching at Arizona State in a time where the, the you know, it, it wasn't, there was more traffic, right? Like kids were kind of coming in and out of programs more, that it was more fluid. So I don't think, I mean, you just felt pressure period, right? Like you just, like for us, we were playing in a time where Cal State Fullerton was absolutely humming and Stanford, you know, they, they were in our league, in our conference and they, Stanford, in my six years, they went to Omaha five years in a row. They played for the national title three out of those four years. So I think the pressure you really felt was, you know, for us to, to beat Stanford or Fullerton, which is what we had to do to achieve our goals, we had to be really, really stinking good. And so I think that was the biggest pressure you felt in, hey, we got to get elite players signed, we got to get elite players through the draft, and we got to coach them up um, to be able to beat programs of that caliber. And with getting elite players through the draft, something you and I actually talked about previously for an article that is in the August edition of the BA Magazine, is that is that decision. I imagine you had to sit down with a lot of kids, a lot of families, and sell them on on Arizona State. What was the what was the Mike Rooney secret sauce when you're when you're visiting with a family, especially the player that's you know that has that draft interest, might have a firm number. Um, what is the, what for you was the selling point, especially back then, you know, what, what was your selling point on college baseball and the experience at Arizona state? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's, it's more sophisticated now than it had been, but, and and I would say this Kyle, I'll, I'll, I'll go backwards to forwards is, you know, at the end of the day, when I look back on that experience, you know, all that effort to educate the families some of it was wasted because, you know, the families kind of, the families that are predisposed to choose academics are going to do that. The families that are predisposed to want to go play and chase the dream are going to go do that. And ultimately, you know, who decides is Major League Baseball. You know, like if the scouts, you know, d- put put enough of a value and a number on the player, then you, you're pretty much toast as a college coach. Now, I think college coaches have done a lot better since then. And I'll never forget that, you know, one of the revelations for us was Scott Boris, who was representing a lot of Stanford players at the time. And, and we're just like, how are these Stanford players always going to school and our guys sign every time? And, you know, the, the thing that Scott was educating these families on is, hey, this is not about draft day. This is not about getting to the big leagues. It is play and stay. If you're not a big leaguer for six years or more, you are going to be an accountant, a teacher, a fireman, a construction worker. You are going to work like the rest of us. So if your dream is to be a big leaguer for your life and for your career, it's six years or more. So let's craft a path that is play and stay. And Boris was very much 
in, in favor of kids going to college. And his thing was, hey, if you look at college first rounders, 56% of them at the time, this is a long time ago, were in that would meet those play and stay criteria. Whereas for college, for high school first round draft picks, it was more like 27%. So Boris's point was, hey, if your dream, let, let's not just talk about the education and, and, you know, off the field life and all those types of things. If your dream to, truly is to be a play and stay in the big league six years or more, then college has proven itself as a, as a route, as a path that is over two times more successful than being than, than the high school kid for basically the same population, which is the first round picks. So, you know, like I think that was ultimately what our sell was is, you know, let's really be, let's be very direct about what the dream is. If the dream is just to be a minor league player or to get a big bonus, that's a whole different thing than the play and stay thing. So I think ultimately that's where it was. But, you know, honestly, Kyle, I think it really is about each family. And, and, and I'm in favor of families having a choice. I have a very strong opinion on what I think is a good decision and a bad decision. But in many ways, it, it's not right for me to say that. That's just my opinion, right? It's every family gets to decide. And that's a positive for baseball. What is life like for a coaching staff on whenever the whenever the deadline, August 15th, back then, I can't, they've changed it a few times. What is it like in the waning hours of the MLB draft signing deadline, or at least that last week? Yeah, it, it is. It's dreadful. You know, like it's um, back then it was we had to get kids to go to their first class was the key. And um, yeah, I'll never forget my first year. So the first, for it starts on draft day, right? And back then we were watching the draft on the internet on computers. And so you're like, you're super excited and anxious. And then it just, then you just start taking gut punches, right? Like you see Cody Ross taken in the fourth round. You're like, oh, dang it. Um, And so, you know, like that type, that type of stuff um, is, but it's still, it's exhilarating in a lot of ways. But I'll never forget, we had a pitcher, Mike Esposito. You know, he, he was our opening day starter as a true freshman in 2000. He blew out. He had been a fifth-round pick out of high school, turned down 500 grand. So, you know, we, we, he was a stud. Um, and, and, you know, so anyway, he comes to us, blows out in, after, like, I guess it was after, like, two or three starts his freshman year. Um, and then he rehabs. He comes back his sophomore year, has a 17-strikeout game, you know, a year after Tommy John surgery. Really was a re- remarkable kid, remarkable what he did, you know, how he attacked the rehab. And so we thought we, we'd get him back for the third year, which was our 2003 team, which was which was loaded. Th- this was a team that went to game three of a Super Regional. Pedroia, Ethier, Travis Buck, um, Tuffy Ghostwitch, Jeff Larish. We had five big leaguers in our lineup. And... Um, Esposito, Mike Esposito would have been our number one. The Rockies found a bunch of money for him at the very end. He would have been like a 15th rounder. They gave him 750 grand like the day before school started. And so we were thrilled for him in that, you know, he had turned down 500 grand and now he got paid more. So that was really important because we love the kid, right? But, you know, selfishly, you're also crushed because you're like, dang, we know we got an Omaha team coming back, but we might be a little bit light on the mound. And, um, you know, but hey, and Espo ended up pitching in the big leagues, not not a play and stay guy, but he he got to the big leagues and and, um, really, you know, kind of a cool story. Is there a silver lining in situations like that? Did you get to reallocate that money? Like when he says, hey, I'm not coming back, is there suddenly scholarship that you can reallocate to older guys or returners? Yeah, yes, but it's like, it's it's just, it's kind of, um, 
it's uh, anticlimactic, right? Because you've already got your roster set, and it's just it's just gravy money. Like you've already got everybody settled into the scholarships they're going to get, and so you can't go out and you can't change your roster at that point. And so, um, yeah, I'd say the, the silver lining is some some other families get some more scholarship, which is great. But it, it you know, it, it it's it, it's not like. Um, not anything life changing, game changing, really, and and certainly you just now you have a big hole in your roster. So with your time at ASU at the at the end of every year with the coaching carousel, how many times did you try to get involved or look at you know moving on from Arizona State or trying to find a? I, I read an interview where you you know you wanted you said something along the lines of Duke and the service academies were the yeah. ideal kind of jobs for you. Yeah, what, what made them so? Yeah, I would say, Kyle, like, I was so young and immature, I was desperate to be a head coach. Like, you you, you asked the question a second ago, like, which times did I try to get involved in a search? And I would say all of the times, right? Like, it, there was no job I wasn't interested in. You know, St. Mary's, uh, Toledo, Nor- you know, um, gosh, Army. I applied for Army. I applied for every job. And, you know, as fate would, I mean, that was my dream, right? My dream was to be a Division One head coach. And I didn't necessarily have this dream that, I wanted to be, you know, the guy that took Skip Bertman's place or anything like that. You know, I, I had a very academic background, so I was very attractive to that. Like schools that were, you know, like a Duke seemed like a sleeping giant at the time. Um, you know, the service academies always were, they just seemed like such awesome institutions to me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was chasing every job, but I just, you know, it was just weird. Like, you know, you're, I was in a weird place in my career where, for the jobs that I was maybe a candidate for, I was just way overqualified because of this, you know, the the brand that is Arizona State. Like I wasn't personally overqualified, but the fact that I was an Arizona State assistant coach, you know, my resume was was maybe a little too much for some of those jobs. And then, you know, the big jobs, I was just too new on the scene. And think about who my peers were at the time. I mean, you know, Brian O'Connor's the recruiting coordinator at Notre Dame. Dan McDonald's the recruiting coordinator at um, Old Miss. Jim Schlossnagel is the recruiting coordinator at um, Tulane. You know, uh, Tim Corbin and Kevin O'Sullivan are the recruiting coaches at Clemson. So, you know, those guys were further down the road from me. And so, you know, of course, every school's going to hire those guys over a guy like me who's just kind of jumping in the water. Why then make the move to junior college and take the job at Phoenix College? Yeah, so it, we, we just had a weird life experience or uh, circumstance. So, you know, there, there, there's two parts to it. So my wife, Jenny, has MS. And, you know, um, we got married when I was coaching at, at Arizona State. And so I'll never forget starting to go to the doctor's appointments with her. And, and, you know, the doctor had pulled me aside at one point and just said, hey, like, as you guys manage this, the thing that you have to look out for is stress. And I was like, oh, dang. Like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, doc, did you say, like, you know, like, gather stress, like get as much stress as you can get? Or did you say avoid stress? Because if you said <laughs> gather stress, I, I got the job for that. Like this is, I, I can barely sleep at night. Like, you know, it's, and so, you know, like that weighed on me. And, you know, honestly, like the six years at Arizona State, while they had been an awesome experience, there was part of me that just felt really discouraged. You know, like I, I was not making any progress towards being a division one head coach. And, you know, we just kept not getting to Omaha. So, you know, six years is a long time to feel like, man, like, am I any good at this? Or, you know, and, you know, so I just, it, it felt like after that sixth year, I just felt like, you know what, I got this degree from Notre Dame and 
my wife, you know, Jenny's MS, it, we really probably need to spend some time trying to get our, our arms around this. And so it just, it felt like the right thing to do, just press pause. And, um, you know, looking back, it was the right thing for Jenny and I. It was, I, I did it for all the wrong reasons in a lot of ways. Like, you know, I, I, I being discouraged was a real part of that decision. And I, I'm kind of ashamed of that, but, it, but I do, you know, I, I do feel like God has a plan for all of us. And, you know, sometimes our, st- our steps are, are kind of, you know, scripted for us. And, and I do feel like there was a little bit of that, a little bit of divine providence in that because so many amazing things have happened for me since then. But, you know, of course me quitting coaching didn't take a year later, I'm back in coaching. Uh, but that was it, you know, it was, it was just, a, it was a little, it was, you know, one half family circumstance, one half, you know, kind of like immaturity on my part. And, and, you know, next thing you know, you're out of coaching. Well, you, you make the move into junior college. What are the pros and cons of coaching at junior college compared to Arizona state? I mean, I'd imagine there's an obvious con in terms of resources Yeah, and, you know, Dustin Pedroia isn't walking in the door at, at Phoenix right. college, but how does your, how does your recruiting pitch change? How are you, what are you doing to sell kids on junior college, especially when there's you're competing probably against pro ball with some guys. You're competing against yeah. Division One schools with other guys. What is the sell there? Yeah, I would say I had an, my my three years at Phoenix College, Kyle, were so awesome. Like I I love those players so much. Like it, that experience was so important to my life. Um, it was so great. You know what? You know what? The great. You know what's the, here's the greatest part about junior college baseball. The greatest part is there are no pros. Like there are literally no pros. Like is everything is nonsense. Like there's no resources. There's nothing. The competition level is insanely good. So the people you're playing against are awesome, and you've got no resources to combat that with. And so you got to figure it out, and your players have to figure it out. It's almost like, you know, one of the things about junior college is you kind of feel like, hey, the baseball world has rejected you, and 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 many times that's self-inflicted. For me, it was. And now you got to figure it out. And so, you know, it's I've used the buffet analogy where like junior college baseball is this buffet of baseball, but you have to do everything. You got to go raise money to go shopping. You got to go shopping. You got to make the food. You got to clean it up. You got to do everything. And it was so, it was so awesome. It was such a great restart for me in my life, in my career. And um, those players were so important to me. And, and um, yeah, and so Phoenix College is in the city. Every player that you would want to recruit there from Arizona literally has to drive drive past several other junior college who were better at baseball than us at the time to come there. And um, and so that so we just started, you know, we would take the Arizona kids that would slip through the cracks and then we just started recruiting out of state kids from Denver, kids from Chicago, you know, kids from uh, California, Washington, where, you know, coming to Phoenix felt like a big deal. And, you know, they would figure out later that Phoenix College is not in a great part of town. But, hey, we had a great field and we had sun and we played 56 games in the spring and 20 in the fall. And you're going to play against a bunch of really good dudes because we played the Division One schools, even though we were Division Two. And um, it was awesome. It was so awesome. How do you find how do you find kids who wanted to go to junior college and find your guys? Because I know some kids like me, for instance, junior college would have done me a ton of good. And if I could go back and redo my college experience, I, I loved my first two years, but I didn't play at all. I kind of wish I would have gone somewhere and played, tried out junior college would have been great for me. When I was 18, I was like, I'm not going to junior college. I have a good SAT score. I'm not going to do that. And it was dumb. How do you find the kids who are willing to 
really take a look at junior college? How do you find that match? Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 not dissimilar to a lot of recruiting where you got to search long and 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 hard. And you know, for me, we didn't have resources. Like you know, I never, not one time, did I go on the road recruiting for Phoenix College where I wasn't paid to be there. You know, because like, we didn't, I didn't have an expense account for that, um, and so you know, you would go work any camp you could work. You know, you, I leaned hard on our relationships. You know, Mark Johnson, the famous coach at Cherry Creek in Colorado, he knew me from me coaching his son, and he knew Murph, and so he knew the players that we were looking for. So we got some really good Cherry Creek players. Um, you know, Brian Hurry up at Mount Carmel in Chicago. You know, we had we had relationships from Notre Dame and Arizona State when we took Chicago players. He knew exactly what we were looking for. And so you, you lean hard on your, you know, I'll never forget, we had a, a second baseman, Mikey Navarro, or a shortstop. He played shortstop for us on the team that won the state. And, you know, he was five foot five, and he was an elite soccer player who just got burnt out on soccer. So that's why the other junior colleges really weren't on him. We just got lucky there. So, you know, it's, it's all the ingredients in, in, um, in recruiting that matter is knowing what you want hustling like crazy, getting the word out, you know, building relationships with people that can help you find players. And then, uh, you know, you need a lot of good fortune. So you have your years of Phoenix College. And then how did you find your way into media and into broadcasting and calling college baseball games? Yeah. So, you know, I owe all this to Murph. You know, I grew up in Philadelphia, like I told you, and sports talk radio is what I was raised on. When I drove across the country to come to Arizona State, I had taped uh, WIP is the famous sports radio station in Philly, which is so over the top. Like, you know, if the Eagles go down seven, nothing, it's fire the coach, fire the owner, you know, like just every irrational stereotype that you have about a Philadelphia sports fan, um, you know, WIP embodies that. And so I had taped like 20 hours of WIP and that's what I listened to going across the country in my little Toyota Tercel. So so, you know, like that was in me. And my final year at Arizona State, Murph pulls me aside and our play-by-play guy, Tim Healy, who is a legend and one of the most awesome people you ever meet in your life. He's the play-by-play guy at Arizona State for football and basketball and baseball. So by the time he got to the baseball season, he was gassed. And, you know, we typically had a long season into the postseason. And so Heels, as we call him, he'd have to do all of that, plus the coaches show for football and basketball and then Murph's coaches show. And Murph hated the coaches show anyway. And, and you know, he just felt like, hey, Heels is gas. So my final year, 2004, he pulls me aside. He says, Runes, you are going to host our radio show this spring. And I'm like, oh, crap, did I just get fired? What? What? <laughs> and he, he, I'm like, coach, I'm the third base coach and I work with the infielders. What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, that's all fine, but you're going to also host our radio show. And I'm like, What? I, Murph, I've never, I, I, I don't even call into those radio shows, let alone host one. He's like, you're going to figure it out. You're a smart dude. We're doing it. And so we did it and it was a blast, right? So, you know, we're, we're having the players on, we're cutting it up. It, it, it was, it was so fun. And then the, so then the next year I leave and, and Murph calls Fox Sports Arizona and they would do one Arizona State game a year back when there weren't very many games on television. And Murph was always one of those guys. He felt like some of the former Arizona State players were, were, were hard on him during those broadcasts. So he calls Fox Sports Arizona in 2005 and says, hey, for our game this year, I've got the analyst. It's going to be Mike Rooney because now I'm not coaching there anymore. And they say, well, yeah, Pat, like, we really appreciate that. But, you know, like, we actually picked the analyst. Like, that's kind of how this works. And Murph's like, well, yeah, that's great. 
This year it's going to be Mike Rooney. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and, you know, Murph's one of those guys like, no, 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 yes, right? Like that, that's what made him such a great recruiter. Like he could, he could sell ice to an Eskimo. And so I got that, you know, that chance. And I, I never forget, Trey Bender and I do the game. And now I've got an actual tape of me doing a game on TV. And so I'm thinking, man, I'm just going to start sending this to ESPN. Maybe they would put me on. And so it took me three years of sending them tapes and got to do some more softball games. And then finally in 2009, um, uh, Meg Rentius, um, who now is a, you know, she's had a monstrous career at, at ESPN. She's amazing. She runs the whole softball thing, and she she's a really dynamic executive at ESPN. She gave me a chance. She gave me the Delaware State Bethune Cookman game on ESPNU in May. What a of barn burner! Yeah, that's right. No wonder no one else wanted it. But um, it was so. Yeah, so that that was my first game at ESPN. And I mean, gosh, think about that. That was whatever that is, twelve or thirteen years ago. And, um, yeah, the, kind of the rest is history. But I, I owe it all to Murph, you know, in a million different ways. So walk me through a weekend, and this is what I've been dying to know. So you, you're you headed to, you know, in a normal, normal non-COVID year, you are headed to Morgantown to call West Virginia TCU. When does the work start? What is the what's the the day-to-day of a broadcaster before getting to the actual game? Like, how much prep is there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I can only answer that question for myself, but I will tell you that one of the really cool things in baseball is that before every game, the ESPN producers always give you the option of, hey, would you like to do a phone call with the coaches? And the coaches are always incredibly gracious, even though they've probably done a million of them as the TV exposure has increased. And so... You know, whenever I can, based on my day job schedule, I always love doing those because I love, you know, talking to the coaches who are, you know, often guys that I've been friends with for a long time. So, you know, you'll get that skinny, um, you know, you go through the lineup, you go through the pitching, you kind of take the temperature of the team. So that's one part of it. But honestly, for me, Kyle, very similar to you, I'm sure, like this is what I love, right? Like when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is check my college baseball Twitter list, right? Like it's, that's, I have two Google alerts that, that I get a, an email, um, for co- anything, you know, college world series and college baseball that have articles in there. You know, that's, uh, you know, when I worked part-time for perfect game and now that I'm doing stuff for D one baseball, it's like, I just, I, I can't get enough college baseball. So for me, the preparation is, you know, it's it's every day of the year because this is what I love. You know, like I, I, I'm checking Kendall Rogers' Twitter account every day several times because I always want to know what's going on in the sport that I, I love so deeply. So, you know, I, I think the the, you know, writing fall reports for D1 baseball, that that's prep, right? Because you're really getting to know the teams. Um, so I, you know, when, when I actually, the problem becomes you have so much information, you're almost paralyzed by it. So what I do now is I used to do an index card that I'd split in half and I'd put some key things on each team, you know, coaches names, how many years they've been there, background. I always want to list out, you know, I think this is probably fairly interesting. I always write on my scorebook, I write out the bullpen options. I think that's a really important part of the game that I want to talk to the viewer about is, hey, what, what, how is this pitching shaping up? What are, what are the decisions that are going to be made or are being made? You know, I always put some postseason relevancies for each team because I think that's, you know, much like basketball, that's what it's all about is, is ex, you know, getting to the postseason and excelling there. You know, I, I usually put a couple famous alums because I think that's good context for 
the uh, viewer. But, you know, at the end of the day, what they instruct us at ESPN is you should educate viewers, you should inform viewers, and you should entertain viewers. And, you know, I, I think that's really profound, and that's what I'm always trying to do. So we had, coming coming full circle from what we had talked about earlier with college football being, you know, if, if someone said you can have, you can bet on Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, or Georgia, or the field this year to win the national championship, I would probably take the four teams. Yeah. With college baseball, especially getting into Omaha season, it is, there is a wide variety. There are a lot of teams every year who feasibly could either make it to Omaha or, or win the national title. We've obviously, we had that coastal team, which was, it was a top 25 team. It was like, you know, we had Fresno state come, you know, as a, a three or a four seed, um, in, in 08. So that there's that possibility in baseball when you're doing that, you know, you're, you're taking in all the, the notes, your college baseball, Twitter feed and stuff like here. I know, like I listen to, uh, to, to Teddy and Joe Healy's podcast all the time about, you know, trying to try to keep up with what happened each weekend. How much college baseball are you watching every spring? Like how much are you trying to take in to actually, as, as you get into Omaha to really get a feel for this team, these teams, since like you, it's, it's fairly easy to watch all of Alabama football, football yeah. games or stuff like that with, with college. How do you like pick and choose what you're going to watch? Yeah. So I would say what I've done now, it's interesting. I've just, just got my hands on a um, subscription to Synergy. And so I'm just starting to, 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 you know, figure that part out. And I think that's going to be really important for watching pitchers. But I think, um, I would say it this way. So the, the way I've tried to do it, and this is where the ESPN app has been amazing and all these new networks. What I like to do for the teams in the beginning where, you know, you're trying to, you know, you've, you've consumed all this information, but now you're trying to see it with your own eyeballs. What I try to do, you know, the first four weeks of the season, I go to as many games as I can and very lucky that we have a million games in Arizona at the time. The other thing I try to do is with the games on TV, I will try to watch teams of interest one time through the order and then move on. Because I always figure like you can always go back and watch more, but I want to get a little taste of every team, just eyeball players. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of my trick is one time through the order um, to at least whet my appetite. But honestly, Kyle, I will tell you that the information I treasure the most is texts and, and phone conversations with the coaches. Because for whatever reason, that's the best. I learn best. I consume information best when it is spoken to me. And so I, I really, and text message can be really, um, you know, critical too. But I, I, I try to do a lot of communication with coaches because I just, I feel like I still have eyes that work the way their eyes work. And I think the way that they think. And so I want to hear their thoughts on players. And then, you know, you can go see it with your own eyes when you get the opportunity. So the last thing I want to get into is is Omaha is mm-hmm. is the white whale somewhere you game away as a player game away as a coach what was your experience the first time you just went to Omaha as a spectator Yeah so it was you know like I said my senior year at Notre Dame we lose we're one win away twice at Arizona State one win away and then and so after the 04 season when my wife and I Jenny and I knew we were going to um you know air quotes retire from coaching um you know, we didn't know that I was going to fail at my first retirement, but we, we knew we were going to do it. And so we, you know, both of us, you know, this is for husbands and wives. Like you wake up thinking about Omaha, you go to bed thinking about Omaha because it changes your career. And so we were finally like, 
hey, we got to just go to this place that has tortured us for six years and just see what it's all about. So that's what we did. We called the NCA. They gave us awesome tickets. We went and it was, you know, it was, it was Rosenblatt, which was so amazing. You know, that's, that is the only time I got to go. No, no, that's, that's not true. I got to go to Rosenblatt twice, once that time in 04 and once as the radio guy for Arizona State in 2009. So that was, that was awesome. And, you know, I, I then, like I'm saying, I got to go back in 09 as the radio guy for Arizona State. That was amazing. It was an incredible college world series. I think there was like 35 big leaguers in, um, in that, that World Series and like, you know, like real dudes like, you know, Arizona State had Jason Kipnis, Cole Calhoun, Mike Leake, Josh Spence, uh, Dustin Ackley was there, Matt Harvey was there, Brandon Belt was there, Brian Dozier was there. I mean, it was it was insane, the talent that was in that College World Series. And so, yeah, so I, so I, those were the first two times, once as a radio guy and, and once just, you know, me and my wife. And, and it, it was, hey, there, I've never had a bad trip to Omaha. That's the bottom line. What are the fan staples? Like, what's the bucket list of something, someone going to Omaha for the first time? What do they need to do during the College World Series besides just watch a lot of baseball? Yeah, I mean, like, you, you do, the stadium atmosphere is amazing. You know, it's like there's 360-degree concourse. You feel like you're you know, you're either at a state fair or at a Cubs game at Wrigley Field, or I, I relate it to like a Notre Dame football weekend where there's just a bunch of people around tailgating. So, you know, I, I think drinking in the stadium, a Zesto's milkshake is is, is a must-do. The Drover for their steak or old school Americana, you know, middle America, awesome steak. Um, that's another one. Hey, I, I'll, for people that like an adult beverage, go to the Hilton bar one night. You know, the Hilton is, is the hotel where everybody from ESPN stays. It's right across the street from the stadium. You know, it's, it, it, there, there's a ton of, you know, people that work in college baseball hanging out in there after the games at the end of the night. Um, you know, those, those are a bunch of the things that, that, and again, you can't go wrong. Bring your family, guys trip, bring your kids. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an, a, a, it's for all occasions. It really is. It's incredible. I actually have one more thing before we get to the rapid fire. One yes. more thing about broadcasting. I forgot to get to sure when you, when you have to call Notre Dame games or Arizona state games or interact with those teams at all. I, I always wonder this You're colleague at ESPN Kirk Herbstreit. I feel like I've heard him call a million Ohio state games where he was quarterback. Is it is it difficult putting aside the you know the alumni or the you know the I used to coach there feelings when you're you're calling you know games either for that team or things that would impact that team? Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think um you know I I think one thing that makes it a little different for me Kyle is you know like I played at Notre Dame for Pat Murphy. I coached at Arizona State for Pat Murphy and when I've broadcast games for ESPN I've never done one of Murph's games. And so I, I think that makes it a lot different because, you know, when, when, when Murph leaves Notre Dame and then Paul Maneri takes over, it's the same school, but it's a different program in a lot of ways. You know, you're not, as much as I love Paul Maneri and Brian O'Connor and those guys treated us great, you're not, it's not the same connection as it is when your coach leaves. So I think there's, that part makes it very simple. I think especially on – now, now again, I was – me and Tim Healy did radio games for Arizona State Baseball in 2009 for the Arizona State Network. Hey, there, you're like, you know, Hawk Harrelson, right? You're total homer. <laughs> just, you know, just let it rip. You know, it, it's um, – so that's really fun. But I would say the one thing you do have to be careful of, you know, like because I live here when I'm doing an Arizona State game, um, I just know so much more about their team. So you do have to balance that part of it. Um 
but I, I don't know. I've never, I've, I, I just think as long as you're cognizant of it, um, it's, it's, it's fine. And, and, you know, again, the best compliment that you can get in broadcasting is when you get on Twitter and both fan bases are ripping you, then you know you did a good job. Absolutely. I love that Hawk Harrelson is kind of the go-to for, for <laughs> ultimate homer guy. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, when I watch Twins White Sox games, I obviously switch to the, uh, I obviously keep to the <laughs> Twins broadcast. We have a good setup with Dick Bremer, but okay, a little rapid fire for you and then we'll let yes, you get out of here. Sure. What's the toughest road series in the Pac 12 as a coach or Pac 10 when you were coaching? Yeah, so, uh, so, uh, hardest place to play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I was there, it was Stanford. They were unbelievably good. And Sunken Diamond is a very pretty place. But it just felt really stodgy to me. Like it just, you know, like Fullerton. It's there's it's edgy. There's energy. The fans are yelling at you. The Stanford atmosphere is very kind of like almost stale. But but you know it's pretty. But and then they just kick your teeth in. So yeah, Stanford was tough. Who is the recruit that got away, either to the pros or another school? Well, the one that that I always think about the most is Trevor Crow because I did a home visit with him and his family, and I thought it went amazing. And the next thing you know, he committed to our, to Arizona arrival. So I always think of Trevor Crow on that one. Great family, great kid, and a big leaguer. Who is the recruit that the the biggest like fist pump when they got to campus? Dustin Pedroia. That that makes sense. That that adds up. That one has aged well too. Yeah, that we knew he every every where every tournament we saw him at he was the best player on the field bar none um yeah we we, that was one of the like most of the times in recruiting Kyle you really don't know we knew I mean it was he was so amazing in every way best player you've coached against in college who's the guy who you, you were scared of on the other side of the field oh man that's a great question um I would say best player we coached against in college you know you know who who was the guy that that dominated us was Connor Jackson played at Cal first rounder of the D backs? He, I swear, we never got him out, never got him out. And you know, we also coached against Justin Turner a bunch of times. I wouldn't say he was the most intimidating, but you, you, I just remember forget thinking about Justin Turner that man, they win a lot and he's always in the middle of it. So, you know, Red Turner was really he, he was awesome to coach against. It took him a while to figure it out, but he finally did. Yep. Last one I got for you who wins the Natty in 2022? Ooh, who wins the Natty in 2022? Great question. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Arkansas. After after kind of a, I don't I don't want to say being being the number one national seed is a letdown, but after not yeah. getting the not getting to to Omaha after being the number one national seed, it's kind of the yeah. chip on the shoulder thing. I just feel like they're they're the program that's operating at the highest level right now. They're so due. I still they they lost a lot from last year, so they've got some serious rebuilding to do. But I think they're. I just think they're going to do it. I think eventually they're going to get there. They do have some incredible pieces back. Um, they they lose some really good players. I you know honestly, I think college baseball is really wide open next year. I think a lot of really good teams lost some incredible players. I I hey doing an eight for Omaha that that was really hard this year. I'm really excited to see who emerges next year. Arkansas picked up the uh, the top undrafted player, I believe, according to the. BA 500, but that, that's a good pick. We'll hold you to it. Mike, thanks so much for joining from Phenom the Farm. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, me too, Kyle. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Huge thanks to Mike Rooney for stopping by, walking us through his career. 
Uh, really looking forward to hearing Mike on the call again this coming spring. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe, rate, review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Those five-star ratings are a huge boon to the show. Make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com for all your amateur baseball and prospect news. And we will catch you in two weeks on From Phenom to the Farm. Thanks for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com podcast. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said. Done.